welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. We're going to read together and consider um, Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7 before the beginning of the message. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. All right, good morning. Good to uh, see you this morning. Good to be together again as we worship the Lord and uh, we come to his word this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians um, chapter 1. We continue in uh, this wonderful letter uh, from the Apostle Paul, and as we look again to this opening section from Paul, we've been looking at the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms or the heavenly places. And uh, Paul begins with the blessings from God the Father, and I would like for us to to look at that uh, passage and I'm reading for you from the, the net translation, just a, a little variations in that. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to begin <clears throat> verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and unblemished in his sight and love. Well, as you think about this verse and the messages we've already uh, preached from this passage, we see that God has not only blessed us that one day we may stand in his presence, holy and without blemish and love, but Paul will add to that uh, in verse 5, and he says, and he did this uh, by predestining us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. And that's where we want to focus our attention this morning. This matter, this great truth of our adoption as sons to God the Father. Let's just bow our heads again in prayer. Lord, as we come before you this morning, before your word, We pray that you would help us in our weakness, Lord. Father, we have weaknesses in body, in our minds, in our attention spans, all of these things, Lord, that would hinder us from hearing your word this morning and from applying it to our own hearts and our own lives. And so I pray this morning that your spirit would would give us understanding, would uh, give us strength and grace to hear your word, Apply your word to our lives. Help me as your messenger to deliver your word and to expound it as you would have. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Adoption. We uh, 
See that there in verse 5? He says, he did this, speaking of uh, what he would previously been talking about in verse 4. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons. Well, today as we think about the, we hear the word adoption, we normally think of uh, a baby or a very young child uh, that's been orphaned possibly and uh, is taken into a family uh, to be their own child. Well, that's not exactly what Paul has in mind. It's close, but it's, there's, a, there's a different uh, focus in Paul's mind as he uses this word. See some examples of, uh, of, of adoption or type of adoption in the Old Testament. But Paul uh, is using this word in the context of a, a Gentile understanding. And the Greek word that he used for adoption literally means the placing of a son. And uh, it would, would come to mean the placing of a son into the family that was not uh, biological uh, their own. In the, in the Roman world, adoption was all about the rights and privileges of the adopted son. And uh, that's something we need, to, we need to kind of click in our minds when we read in the Bible adoption that he's dealing with this issue of rights and privileges. Uh, The adopted son would receive uh, all the rights of inheritance as a a full-grown son. Uh, You remember, most of you, I'm sure, the the book and the the classic movie, Ben-Hur. I've saw the movie several times, but I I never read the book. So I'm assuming it's very similar. But in that movie, you see the portrayal of... um, this Roman adoption, uh, the Judah Ben-Hur, a Jew, is uh, imprisoned on a, a Roman galley ship as a rower. A very, uh, very bad situation. And basically they would uh, be in that situation until death as a prisoner and forced labor. And in the movie, when the ship sinks in battle, uh, Judah escapes and he saves the life of a Roman commander named Arius. Well, Arius's only son had been killed, and so he ultimately adopts Judah as his own son. And, and when that happens, uh, Judah is pardoned for the charges that are against him, and he's given a new name. He's now called Young Arius. And he also receives all the rights of inheritance from Arius, this um, this commander, and in the scene when the adoption is announced, Arius takes off his ancestral signet ring, and he gives it to young Arius, and and it, it signifies that now this um, inheritance is passing on to him, and young Arius says that he has received a new life, and a new home, and a new father. Well, that illustrates for us what Paul is thinking of when he, when he uses this word to describe what God does for us and has done, has planned for us. And so this morning, the first thing I want us to notice from, about this matter of adoption, the spiritual adoption, is that it's a legal decor- declaration from God the Father. It's something that God has planned and determined uh, for us, the, the, the participle there, predestining or having predestined, according to your translation. It's, it's dependent, this word is dependent on the main verb in verse, verse 4, the word choose or chose. Uh, 
And, and it's related to the Father's choosing us before creation. We studied about it in verse 4. So let me read for you from Tom, Tom Constable's uh, notes. It's, it's rather helpful as we think about this word because it, uh, it means to, um, to be marked out beforehand. The word predestined or to predestine, to be marked out or determined beforehand. And uh, there, there is a distinction between predestining and choosing. Although they're very related, uh, probably from God's perspective, happening at the same time. Uh, from you know, theologians debate whether which was first. Or, that's probably not really important. But he, there is a, there is a di- distinction between the two. And Tom Constable's note says, Predestination looks more at the what than at the who of election. Election refers to people and predestination to purposes. Uh, God predetermined the final destiny of the elect, namely that he would adopt us as his full-fledged sons, end of quote. Well, if you notice at the end of verse 5, it says that this adoption is according to the purpose of his will, speaking of God's will. And it's literally the good pleasure of his will. And so, as we think about our adoption, it's not something that we earn. It's not something that we kind of grow into as, uh, as believers. No, it's, it's a declaration of God the Father of His glorious purpose for all whom He has chosen. A second thing that is important to know and understand about adoption is that it's a legal standing before God the Father. In our adoption, we receive a new legal status and standing with all of its rights and privileges from the Father. Uh, its adoption is, is not the same as regeneration. You know, re- regeneration speaks of the, the new birth, the, this, this new life that we have in Christ. Uh, adoption is not exactly the same. Although both happen at the same time, there is a, a, dis- a difference in emphasis. Uh, regeneration... This new birth is the, the receiving of a new nature. We are born again into the, to the family of God. And you'll remember passages like, like John 3, where he's talking to Nicodemus about being born again. And, uh, and you, know that, you know that. John 1, also in verse 12, he says, But to all who received him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So that's, that's regeneration. But with adoption, it's not about the nature of the child, but about the rank of the child. And, and so we, in adoption, we, we receive the rights as adult sons with, with the full rights of inheritance from the father. And this emphasis is lost a bit in some translations that uh, render the word adoption uh, of children or just the word adoption. Uh, of course, in this spiritual adoption applies to all who believe. It applies to boys and girls and men and women. That's not the, that's not the point. Uh, but when, when Paul uses the word to talk about adoption as sons, he's, he's dealing with something that the people of Paul's day would have understood, and that is the significance of this idea of placing a son. He, he's now indicating the status that he has, the standing that he has before the Father. 
because in this, in this Roman world of adoption, it was only a, a son that was adopted because he's now become the, uh, the inheritor of, of all the, the rights and the, the owner of everything uh, that the father would, would leave. And so that's the, uh, that's the significance of, of this idea of uh, adoption as sons. He's putting an emphasis on the rights that we have, the privileges that we have in Christ. If uh, we go back to the passage we, uh, Joshua read for us in Galatians 4, and begin there in verse 4, I'll just read that uh, again for you. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's, that's what we're talking about this morning. We think about adoption, what God has accomplished and done for us. Before we were saved, we were slaves to sin. And for many, like these Gentiles that Paul is, is talking to, writing to, they were slaves in various religious practices. And, and it's the same today. We may not have idols that they bow down to, but there's, there's other idols. And there's other practices that Paul calls the elementary principles of this world. Stoichia. And for the, for the Jews, it was, it was the law. For the Gentiles... It was idols and temples and various practices. It's all of the, we, we would today say religion. It's what can I do? What can I do to be right with God? Uh, and, and something more, something more than what Christ did. Something I can add to that. Or uh, anything that uh, puts the focus on man's works. But Paul says that now, because we have been redeemed and purchased out of the bondage uh, by the death of Jesus Christ, Paul says, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Well, in regeneration, the Spirit makes us children of God. While adoption, or in adoption, He gives us the position, the privilege, and the responsibility of sons of God. So I hope you can see that difference in focus there, difference in emphasis that uh, this word brings out. And, it, and it's a different aspect of what it means to be a child of God. It's just not like a child, like a little baby. That, uh, but when God saves us, we're immediately brought into all the privileges of what it means to be a child of God. Um, we, haven't, we, we haven't received all of those yet in the sense of uh, we're still here on earth, um, we get to heaven, we're going to have these glorified bodies, we're going to be as He is in that sense, holy, without blemish, that which God has planned for us, but it's already ours. We just haven't realized it yet because God hasn't fulfilled His timetable, His purpose yet, but it's as good as done. So that Paul would later in this letter write that we're seated with Him in the heavenly places. That is our position, our right as children of God. Well, a third thing about adoption is, is this. Not only is our adoption 
a legal declaration from the Father, and a legal standing before the Father. It is also a loving relationship uh, with God the Father, a loving relationship. MacArthur, in his uh, commentary, is a note here I wanted, wanted to, to read for you. He says, justification is the legal declaration that one is righteous with respect to the demands of God's law. Adoption, however, is the legal declaration by the divine judge that the justified one has been made a member of the divine judge's family. Now, that's, a, that's an image for you. That you, you think of someone standing before a judge and uh, he's acquitted, he's been forgiven this debt that is his own, his guilt. And, uh, you know, you can, you can imagine the judge, you know, hitting the gavel and uh, he's been set free. But beyond that, the judge saying, why don't you come and live with me? <laughs> Be my child. Inherit my wealth uh, in a limited way that illustrates for us the, the nature of God's love and grace for us. In salvation, we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we become citizens of God's kingdom. But more than that, Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we have the privilege of serving Him. And so we're servants, we're citizens. But even more than that, Christ has made us His friend, He told His disciples. And in that, even more than that, He loved us more than a friend by giving His life for us. But even more than that, God has brought us into an intimate relationship with Him and made us His own sons, and whereby we are said to be fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, look in uh, Romans 8, and we see that emphasis again of what God has accomplished and done for us. Romans 8 from verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This Romans 8 passage is looking to that day when the suffering is going to be over, and he, he talks about the groanings of creation and our groanings for that day. And in the midst of that, he's talking about how the Spirit of God comes and helps us in our groanings. All three persons of the triune God are involved in our adoption. It was planned by the Father in eternity past. It was made possible in time by His beloved Son. And finally, we're made effective, or it's made effective by the Spirit of God. In verse 15 in this passage, Romans 8, he says, We have received the Spirit of adoption as sons. There the, the Holy Spirit is actually called the, the Spirit of adoption. And it is by His help, by His intercession, that we're able to commune with the Father. Both here in the passage in Galatians that we read, we by the Spirit of God cry out, Abba, Father. And this really speaks to this unique and intimate relationship that we have with God. 
that, that only a child of God can have. Um, the only other place it's used in Scripture uh, is of Jesus in the garden, Gethsemane, remember, where he cries, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And, uh, and so there's this intimacy uh, between a child and the father that this word communicates. It, it's, the, the Abba is uh, an Aramaic word for father, very common, very common word. Um, and it's similar, I would say, to our word papa or daddy of a very young child that would uh, speak you know, to the father and in the context that it's used, it's it's spoken in a in a in a cry. Uh, the word there, cry, is just exactly what we think of. It's a, it's crying out. It's shouting. There there is an urgency. There's an intimacy in this in this cry. Of and you think of um, what this word means. I, I read about a, a pastor as he was telling about an experience he had when he was visiting Israel on one of their their tours. And he was waiting to get on a bus, and he saw a he saw a man running, and he had his young boy by the hand, and he was half dragging the boy along, and the boy couldn't keep up, and he was the boy was crying, "Abba, Abba, Abba!" <laughs> and he says the the man stopped, grabbed up the boy, and took off running, catches catches bus, I guess. But we, but we see in that this cry, "Abba, Father." And it's a child in total dependence and trust on the Father. Our adoption is not only a legal standing, but it's a loving relationship with our God. In 1 John 3, in verse 1, John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. He says. Well, one last thing that uh, I want us to see concerning adoption is that it's through Jesus Christ. Uh, if you look again in, in our text in verse 5, he says, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Again, this emphasis of God's plan for our redemption is through Christ. He's repeated it over and over again already in, this, in these few verses here in chapter 1. Uh, this emphasis of what God has done through Christ, uh, through His coming to earth to die for us in our place, and rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father, so that by faith in Him, we could be forgiven and become a child of God. And so there is an, an exclusivity to God's plan to adopt sons into His family. Uh, only those who are birthed into the family by regeneration and the new birth from above, are sons. They're the ones who are adopted as sons. And so these, these truths are both together. Although they're, in, one, they're emphasizing different aspects of what it means to be a child of God, they're, they're both together. There is a, a liberal idea that's been around for a long time, and, and, and occasionally we'll, you, you'll run into somebody that believes that... Um, God is the father of all, and all are his children. Uh, it's referred to as the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. In other words, God's the father to everyone, and uh, everybody's, uh, everybody's brother, and eventually we'll all um, go to heaven. 
universal fatherhood of God. Well, that sounds good, and it, it appeals to our emotions and the, the under, unregenerate the imagination of man, but it's just simply not biblical. Uh, God is not the father of all. He's the creator of all, but he's, he's not the father of all, not, not, in the, not in the biblical sense that we've been talking about. When Paul was speaking to the Athenians, you remember in Acts chapter 17, he quotes one of their philosophers and says, for we are all indeed his offspring. It's one of the, one of the passages that uh, people will use to say, well, see there, we're, we're all children of God. Well, in the context, Paul's making the point that we're all created by God and we're all accountable to God as the creator. And he will continue in that passage to call them to repentance, pointing them to the resurrected Christ. Scripture is very clear on this point. No one can call God their father except through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said, and you remember in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, in, in John 1, uh, verse 11 and 12, he, he says, He came, speaking of Jesus, He came to His own. His, his own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So that's a very exclusive um, adoption, a very exclusive birth into the family that uh, the, the scriptures speak of. And so only born again believers are children, are adopted, are sons of God. Well, it's only in the, the New Testament that we have the, the, the revelation of God's plan for our adoption but, but there is an event in the Old Testament that gives us a glimpse into the grace of adoption. And, I, and I'm thinking of, of 2 Samuel chapter 9. And you'll remember the, the events where King David enters into his reign as uh, king of, of Israel. It's after the death of Saul and the death of, of Jonathan, Saul's son. And David determines to be gracious to anyone left of the family of Jonathan. And so he, he uh, begins a, to inquire of any descendants. Now normally, the descendants of a, of a conquered king would be killed. So there wouldn't be any revolt or any later ramifications from those descendants. But David, in effect, adopts Melchizedek one of the, the sons of um, Jonathan, and he brings him into his own house to be his own, uh, and he makes emphasis of uh, eating at his table, which is a, a way of, of talking about he's now become part of his family. I want to read for you Tom Constable's notes on this and because um, I can't really say it better, uh, and I think you'll, it'll help you to, as we think about this event from the Old Testament, the story, it says the sensitive reader will observe many parallels between Mephibosheth and himself or herself and between David and God. Mephibosheth had fallen and was deformed as a result of his fall, was, hit, was hiding in a place of barrenness and was fearful of the king. So is the sinner. 
David took the initiative to seek out in spite of his unloveliness, bringing into his house and presence and adopt as his own son, Mephibosheth. He also shared his bounty and his fellowship with this undeserving one for the rest of his life because of Jonathan, as God has done with us for the sake of Christ. And it's, it's also in that passage, there's a point made of Mephibosheth's attitude. He, he's like, why are you treating me like this? I'm, I'm nothing but a dog. In other words, his dog was then was not, wasn't a pet. It was, <laughs> it was it was something you know derision. It was like you know filthy, uh, and so that really pictures for us the grace of God and the love of God for us. David, as you know, in Psalm twenty three six, right? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what God has done for us. He's brought us into His family made us his own. And as we think about this, how should we respond to such love and grace that God has bestowed upon us? And we could think about possibly many things that we could do and that, but David or Paul in our text says that uh, the ultimate purpose for our adoption is to the praise of the glory of his grace or to the praise of his glorious grace. There's various ways of saying that, but... Uh, that is what the ultimate purpose is there, beginning of verse 6, to the praise of His glory, uh, the glory of His grace. So let's praise Him. Our words, our thoughts, every part of our lives, let it be to, the, to His praise, to His honor, to His glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for reminding us again from this passage of Your grace and Your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that in Your mercy and in your grace you have brought us undeserving sinners enemies and you've forgiven us you've saved us and you've uh, brought us lord into your own family to be your sons and your daughters what a what a great truth that is what a what a great comfort it is to us and encouragement to us as we think about your love for us lord may our lives reflect that to one another as we respond to one another, as we respond to others, many times um, in our failures, in our weaknesses, in our irritations with one another, Lord, I pray that we might learn to respond with your love and your grace. We ask in Christ's name, amen. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone Can change the leopard spot And melt the heart of stone Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain 
washed it white as snow. And then before the throne I stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as